One of the joys of the 2019 Stroud Film Festival was a short film about Margaret Hills. Now, Margaret was a leading member of the suffragist movement in the early part of the last century, who moved to Stroud in 1922. Four years later, Margaret became the first woman ever to be elected to the Stroud Urban District Council, where she helped bring about many positive changes to the area. Over time, Margaret and her legacy has sadly been forgotten. That is, until the excellent work undertaken by individuals who have contributed to this podcast about Margaret and the film celebrating her life called Stroud's Secret Suffragist. In this podcast, you will hear from researcher and local Stroud councillor Chaz Townley, the scriptwriter of the street performance Jackie Stern, actor Kim Baker. Finally, we will move on to talk about the filming of the street performance and the production of Stroud's Secret Suffragist, the film with director River Driver Sharp and her executive producer, Sam Pope. Together, this team, along with others, have captured the essence of Margaret Hill's life and achievements. Let's start by talking to one of the people who brought Margaret's story to light, researcher and local Strad councillor, Chaz Townley. Chaz will tell us how, with excellent detective work, he was able to uncover this remarkable story. Over to Jeff and Chaz. Chas, welcome to the podcast, and we're talking about Stroud's secret suffragist, Margaret Hills. How did you first get to learn about Margaret? A completely different project, uh, looking at the history of the workhouse, which had a convoluted history in the 30s, which eventually led to its closure. She was actually on the committee for the workhouse at that time, but there was a proposal to replace it with a brand new building. The chair of the committee asked, were the lady members going to be invited to the meeting? When I became intrigued by who were those lady members, and then it turned out she was the first woman elected to um, Stroud, then Urban District Council. And she had been involved in Stroud politics, basically from the moment she arrived in 1922, alongside her doctor husband, until she died in the 60s. I tried to find out what her maiden name was, but the use of ancestry and the like wasn't as progressed as it is now. But then when there was some preparation going on about doing some stuff around the suffragist centenary last year, somebody said, well, if she was involved in this, she would have definitely have been involved in suffrage campaigns because one of the organisations she was involved in was the Women's Citizens Association, which was based on some work that Eleanor Rathbone had done. Anyway, so when I actually found out her maiden name, which was uh, Robertson, and tapped it into a search engine for the newspaper websites, the first thing that came up was a meeting at which she was part of a delegation with the um, then Prime Minister, uh, Herbert Asquith. And there is a, a sentence that's in the reports is that she starts, Prime Minister, you do not understand. Mm. <laughs> and, and that was back in 1912. Isn't it? I mean, impressive if anybody stand up to a Prime Minister back then. Absolutely. I suppose she was in a, about 28 years of age at that stage. But she'd been campaigning on the issue for six or seven years. She was a a well-respected figure within the suffrage movement and was seen very much as a, a natural choice for some of the work that she was doing by leadership. She was also out doing factory gate meetings. One of the first reports of her being as a meeting is in, in, in the northwest is being um, pelted with rotten fruit. So she clearly wasn't afraid of putting herself forward. And she was, you know, brilliant speaker and had sp- spoken in the Albert Hall at a major meeting in the Albert Hall and also in the Free Trade Hall in Manchester a lot of her work was actually based in Manchester so having sort of got this stuff about 
her local stuff, and then to really get this, you know, incredible backstory about being a, you know, nationally important campaigner. One person who talked about, about her was a Labour uh, leader who suggested that she would have been good enough to have been a leader of the party. I'm, I'm fascinated by that. I mean, back in the 20s, we could have been looking at a female leader of the Labour Party, which I, I just find incredible. I mean, today we still haven't got that. No. We, we've never had a woman leader of the Labour Party. But I think you've got to remember is that a, there was a group of women that did actually make it into senior leadership roles. One of her compatriots was Ellen Wilkinson, who was later the MP for, for Jarrow. You know, it's really interesting that, of course, one of the things that the great Pilgrimage... Mm. And Ellen Wilkinson organised the the Jarrow March and was part of that. And that was basically the same spectacle that the, the, the suffragists had been organising. I think Margaret actually made a choice which was about was she going to be involved nationally in politics or was she going to have a family and I think we can remember is that at that point in time as soon as you got married you had to give up your job and I can remember my grandmother telling me the stories about how she worked as a secretary in the railways but they had to wait until um, my grandfather Jeff was earning enough to be able to, to pay for both of them and that was you know still going on the second world war not necessarily as, as often but certainly within the public sector and of course you had the whole pay inequality that was going on at that stage uh, so Margaret was very much um, you, know, you know making a, cho- a choice and I suppose some of the you know, choices that she was making within Stroud was very much about supporting her husband's business as a local GP. Because remember, it wasn't, it was, this is pre-NHS days. And so obviously, you know, private patients would make choices about who they went and with. I don't think she hid her radical left-wing politics because she wasn't elected as a Labour councillor. I was going to ask that because she was elected as independent. Yeah. Uh, why do you think that was? Well, one of the things that, that she was involved in was the Stroud Women's Citizens Association and she stood as a representative of the Stroud Women's Citizens Association and I think that's partly about being able, because that was 1928 when she was elected, which was the year in which women got the parliamentary vote at 21. So I think this was about mobilising women to be involved. So I think that was, you know, the principal reason for that. And remember, the odd thing at that stage was that, yes, the parties were there, but quite often people would stand for the cooperative society. So there was a much broader group of organisations which were being represented on the council than just the political parties, although primarily the the main organisations then were the political parties. But I think it's significant that she was vice-chair of the council when the first Labour councillor was elected as chair of the council, which was Tom Langham. It is really instructive how, very clearly under their leadership, Stratford Park was bought in a matter of months and within a space of 18 months the foundations were being put in for the new swimming pool. So this was not somebody who was being particularly indecisive about getting things done. So when Margaret went on to join the Gloucestershire Council... Did she stand as an independent there as well? I'm not clear whether she stood as an independent in in 1936 because there was no election, because nobody contested the seat, so she was elected unopposed. There was an election after the war in which she clearly stood as an independent and it was contested by the Labour Party. But the odd thing is, of course, is that when she died, her obituary talks about her being the president of the Women's Labour Party Dinner Club. Whatever 
you know, transgressions she had done by not being in the party at those particular times had been forgiven and she was part of the party establishment at the time when she died in the mid-60s. So if Margaret had never come to Stroud, how do you think we'd be the poorer for that? You know, I certainly don't think we would have a Stratford Park. I don't think we'd we'd have the extent of council housing that was done in the 20s and 30s. Places like Summer Street are down to, including some of the first housing for older people was done in the early 30s when she was a, was a member of the council up in Trinity. So when you go to county things, you know, one of the things she pursued quite relentlessly was actually replacing the secondary school within Stroud which is why we've now got Archway School you know I certainly remember the stories from my childhood about how terrible robberous school had been when it was being used as a secondary school you know some of the ethos that we've now got within that school as a comprehensive is, is probably down very much to foundation work that was done by Margaret and other people at that at that time absolutely incredible story yeah. and I think it's a real honour to be doing this piece of work about Margaret Hills, who I think is certainly a national hero, but also a very big local hero as well. Yes, she certainly is. I think the work the River's done on creating the film is is, is helping to bring it out far more than I could do in a little, little local history book. I, I think everybody, you know, from yourself and what's been uncovered, Jackie with the script, Kim's performance, River in terms of, you know, putting the film together, Sam with the editing as well, it's been clearly a labour of love and something that deserves to be seen. And, you know, we'll put whatever links out there for our listeners. And we would highly recommend that you read up on Margaret Hills and, when possible, please try and track down the film. Yeah, thank you. Thank you very much, Shaz. Thank you, Chaz. That was certainly a painstaking and worthwhile endeavour. So, now the details have been brought to light. Just who came up with the idea to create a street performance to celebrate Margaret? That was the very talented Jackie Stern, who became a scriptwriter for the very first time to translate this story into a live event which took place at various locations around Stroud. Part of Jackie's script involved the recreation of Margaret giving speeches about what she passionately believed in. To recreate those speeches, wonderfully written by Jackie, actor Kim Baker in July 2018, dressed in the clothes from the period, spoke at four carefully selected locations in stride in the character of Margaret. Clearly, all this took a lot of writing and planning. Let's talk to both Jackie and Kim about their incredible work in putting this performance together. So let's talk about the genesis of the film, and I'm pleased to welcome scriptwriter Jackie Stern and actor Kim Baker. Hi. Hello. Hi. Hi. Thanks for inviting us. It's a fascinating subject and one that I want to bring out to a wider audience and you know get more people wanting to see this film because it's fantastic. It is, isn't it? It's tremendous. Tremendous. And I apologise in advance for this because I know we made the mistake when setting this show up. A lot of people, and certainly I would imagine a lot of our listeners, would be saying, what's a suffragist? We know this as a suffragette, and that's totally wrong. Could you please explain for our listeners and educate them on what it should be? I'm about to produce a prop out of my bag, and this prop is apple green and scarlet and white. 
These are the suffragist colours. And so I made this for Kim to wear when she was performing Margaret Hills. The colours people will be familiar with of the purple and darker green and white are the suffragette colours. So the women's suffrage movement existed decades before the vote for over 30-year-old women um, came into being. The colours that were adopted for the National Union of Women's Suffrage Societies, which is the organisation that Margaret worked with, campaigned with, that was led by Melissa Fawcett, have these colours. Emmeline Pankhurst was originally a member of the National Union of Women's Suffrage Societies. Uh, she kind of got slightly bored with the pace, this is my interpretation of things, and went off and formed a separate organisation called the Women's Social and Political Union and adopted those different colours and adopted completely different tactics. The reason it matters to me so much is because Margaret Hills was a lifelong peace lover. She stood for peace. She wasn't anti-direct action, but she was certainly anti-violence. And indeed, if she was alive now, she'd be applauding what Extinction Rebellion are doing, I think, and their peaceful campaigning. And I think that's the distinction. The reason it, it, I guess, upsets me now is because government last year and other organisations adopted the suffragette colours for the whole of the anniversary celebrations and completely overlooked what the suffragists had been doing for decades, which was the slow winning hearts and minds approach to bringing about change. Ultimately, you probably need direct action and that, but in my book, you don't need to resort to violence. So that's why it matters to me so much. And because I've become a complete and utter Margaret Hills fan. So I'm now passing this sash to Kim. So she, Kim can say something about it. I'm actually going to wear it. the sash because it'll just uh, bring it all back for me, won't it? Uh, well, we had um, four different stops on the street performance. Um, and the second place was outside the subscription rooms in Stroud. And I was wearing this sash and um, I had things lobbied at me, in fact. <laughs> Thankfully, it was only pom-poms. That was staged. That was part of it, was it? I hope. <laughs> it was. I did know it was coming. Good, good. Uh, but in real life, Margaret Hill's got her and all of the women got thrown a lot harder things than that, like cabbages and eggs and all sorts of awful things. You know, people were quite against it. It was quite a strong feeling against women having the vote. Which is hard to, to believe now, isn't it? So I made these pom-poms in those two sets of colours, gave lines to Margaret Hills to communicate that distinction. I've got a little piece here. Um, it's about um, the book you're now familiar with, which is called Hearts and Minds, The Untold Story of the Great Pilgrimage and How Women Won the Vote by Jane Robinson. Brilliant book, heartily recommend it. And there's a, a piece in the Daily Mail, ironically, because it's the Daily Mail that coined the term suffragette as a derogatory way of communicating how pathetic, in their view, suffrage campaigning was. Here's a quote from Jane Robinson. Suffragists, she tells us, were rude about suffragettes, calling them a dictatorship movement of the sort that drives democracy out. Suffragettes were rude back, saying that suffragists were stayed, so willing to wait, so incorrigibly leisurely. So, and going back to the Great Pilgrimage, it was very difficult. I mean, it was really that Great Pilgrimage was the precursor, was the model for all of the peaceful campaigning we do now. All of it was started with them in 1913. They had a really difficult time on the road. I mean, women were marching and there were men involved too from all compass points, you know, across the whole of the United Kingdom. 
to go to London to lobby Asquith, who was the Prime Minister. And they were mistaken for the suffragettes. They were, it was assumed by some, or misused by others, like local papers and so on, that they were going to cause violence in the towns and villages they were passing through which was when all these missiles got lobbied at them and stuff. And their caravans, they were vanning. You know, they had those lovely old horse-drawn caravans, were set on fire. It was really dangerous doing it. And it was partly because of fear about what the suffragettes might do. Was this a deliberate smear campaign by the establishment or was it just the newspapers trying to stir up um, increases in circulation? I just put it down to wanting to diminish the importance of the suffrage campaign. That jet word, you know, it's like usherette rather than usher. It's that diminutive, it's a sort of, it's a way of diminishing something, diminishing the importance. Because they were trying to do it intellectually, weren't they, and talking yes. to MPs and trying to get, you know, things passed legally. Yeah, suffragists, yeah. The suffragists, so, you know, it's, it's kind of... A shame that they had to sort of do that slur, really. And Margaret, also, she did a lot of speeches as well. I mean, she she went to the factory gates in lunch times and after work to talk to all the workers, men and women. Don't have the reports of what she actually said, but it really moved people, didn't it? Really, really moved people to action. And it was across all classes that she was able to relate to, which I think is fantastic. And she spoke in the Royal Albert Hall. She spoke in really big places. You know, she was an amazing woman. So flexible, so adept and so able to work cross, if you like, the class system. And it meant when they had that meeting with Asquith, um, Millicent Fawcett sort of pushed her up first, really, to speak to him. And he was saying, well, you know, the working man, he doesn't want his wife, his woman, to be voting, does he? She was able to say, excuse me, Prime Minister, but actually, you're wrong, and gave him evidence because she'd been speaking to people in the factory gate. This is what I find incredible about this whole story and certainly about the film. You've got this woman, Margaret Hales, who is such an important figure in this movement and, and driving everything forward. And yet, you know, until you've done this wonderful work, she'd almost been forgotten. Well, she had been forgotten. You know, her children predeceased her. There's no archive of her work. And once she'd got married to Dr Hills and then moved to Stroud, she moved off the national stage. But it's really thanks to Chaz. He's a really clever, clever researcher. He's got that lovely historian eye for detail and he just noticed that to the lady members were referred to without naming their names and his little antennae twitched he thought they're important then who are they and he discovered that she'd been heavily involved in dealing with housing issues in Stroud and was very important in, in a whole number of ways in terms of providing clinics for children setting up social housing on Summer Street and so on and and then he just started digging and he started finding more and more. And it's worth noting that she was the first woman to stand on Stroud Urban District Council and she was one of two women to be on Gloucestershire County Council and that in its, itself is an amazing feat. And yet there are so many people who, you know, when they come to the end of their lives, and Margaret Hill started in 1967, you would have thought that in the 60s there would be this rediscovery, emancipation that was happening amongst young people at that time. This has got lost. It was not till comparatively recently that there was a proper collection of women's history and all of the archive of all of those organisations, including the NUWSS and the National Women's Social and Political Union, in the Women's Library at LSE. It's only comparatively recently that was all in one place. It's thanks to a, a strong generation of feminist historians and feminist researchers that all of this is coming to light. So I'm not surprised we lost her. 
We think there must be hundreds of women that were involved in the marches and they probably their families don't even know they went or, you know, now. Um, I mean, she was only one of three paid women that was involved in the suffrage movement. I mean, I had the sort of bare bones of her life for writing the script. Do you want to know the story of the script? Yes, please. So when Margaret was elected, she gave a speech in Park Gardens. So I'd been asked if I'd make a contribution to uh, an anthology that still hasn't appeared, called The Secret Life of Stroud, and that was in 2017. So I was walking through Park Gardens and I thought, hmm, I walk through here every day and I kind of take it completely for granted. Hmm, why is it called Park Gardens? Started with that, found out why, and that it had been uh, as a commemoration to Herbert Park, who died in World War One. Then started digging around in the local history and there is information Chaz has posted in there about Margaret Hills and her speech and her being the first woman. So this was in sort of like mid-2017 and I just my, I just got excited. I thought, we've got the centenary of partial vote coming up. I call it partial because we had to be over 30. And got in touch with Chaz and Chaz, bless him, was trying to commemorate Margaret. He'd got as far as getting that close named, hadn't he? Yes, Margaret Hill's close at the top of Stroud. He'd got that far and he wanted a plaque and he wanted that. So we ha- he organised a meeting in the alehouse and there were two people at that meeting, me and Chaz. <laughs> she just got under my skin, really, and I can't quite remember why I started talking to you about her because we were in the same poetry class. Group. Yeah, and you, you sort of asked me about playing her, which I oh, straight away I was really intrigued. I'd never written a script before. <laughs> I set about doing that with very basic information. But you put an emphasis on it. You sort of brought her to life, though. It wasn't just factual. You know, it was it was a proper monologue of her speaking, you know, so... Four monologues. Four long it? monologues. Yeah. <laughs> Probably one of the most daunting things I've ever done, but most rewarding, actually. But when you've got the public standing, they're not paying for this. This is a free event, and they may not stay for all four monologues. They might just hear one. And you've given but... them things to throw, which is always a worry. <laughs> <laughs> well, we knew who was going to throw them. But... Okay. but with regards to actually listening now... People switch off very easily and you want to grab their attention. So we, there were four parts to this. So we started in um, by the pillar box on the high street, the pedestrianised bit. So there's a lot of negotiating with the market traders required to make that happen. So that was the sort of her early life. The next bit, and we had uh, the choir coming with us, the women's choir coming with us down to the subrooms. That was her real campaigning life when she was up in Manchester and so on, when she was doing major work for the NUWSS. Sorry, Jane, can I just clarify something? With the monologues, they weren't things she'd actually spoken. This was you distilling her life into these four speeches, am I correct? Well, it was me imagining her life. Yeah. But you had some quotes in there that were... Some uh, quotes in there. But, I mean, we knew she'd got really interested in Keats' poetry. I mean, there was a point when there was a bit of Keats' poetry in there, but that got ditched. But certainly, you know, just little things like I imagined her being gifted a special pen by her dad on her 21st birthday and that she used this pen to write her speech. I've got no idea whether she was gifted such a pen or not, but it just seemed something that might be possible. So most of it was factual, but then Jackie fleshed it out, really, by putting some poetic licence in there. It was a lot of facts, because yeah. I remember learning all the facts and desperately trying to get them right with all the years and everything. There's so much I was holding up fa- year placards ah. to help, help <laughs> you. a cardboard. But I think you really did bring her to life. That's the point, you know. Yeah. Well, it's a collaboration, isn't it, really? Hopefully I tried my best to bring her to life 
physically, as in being there, trying to recreate this amazing woman. I mean, as an actor, it's very difficult when you haven't got a diary to read of the person, you haven't got any uh, film footage to watch to see what her mannerisms are like or how she spoke or anything. So all you have to go on is that she was very well educated and yet she was very good at talking, very good orator, good at talking to any class. A couple of photos. So, yes, yeah, some photographs. So there's not a lot to go on. But, but what comes across in the film is your enthusiasm in delivery of that, and that really helps. That draws you in to the character. Yes. I feel like I'd, hopefully I did, yeah, physically. and So I had a basic costume, because um, it had to span quite a long time frame. Yeah. We had different hats to mark each four monologues for different times of her life. And I think that, that worked quite well. I think my favourite monologue was the third one. That's more about the Rowcroft one, the love life one, her love life. <laughs> yes, so you know, some of my license, but maybe not, was that there's a famous socialist who was involved in the early Labour Party called Fenner Brockway. It's very apparent, and this is where Chaz comes in again. Chaz was reading his autobiography, and it's very apparent in bits of what he's written that he was furious that um, she'd married Harold Hills, furious because he said, you know, there's such a loss to the Labour movement, she could have been this big national figure. And he sort of seems to be suggesting she could have led the Labour Party. Which would have been incredible. Which Amazing. would have been incredible. She raised an enormous amount of money for the... was going to be the 1914 election. She raised money for the election fighting fund, it was called. Once the Labour Party had come out in support of women's suffrage, she was put in charge of fundraising so that there could be uh, support for potential candidates. 60 candidates, wasn't it? Over 60 seats, yeah. But, of course, then First World War was declared, so that didn't happen. So she was definitely of that ill. Why didn't she marry him? So I've kind of imagined the whys and wherefores of why she didn't marry Fenner and why she did marry Harold. He was a doctor. Those two men had actually gone to the same school together because they'd okay. both been the sons of missionaries. So they'd gone to the same school together. And, they'd, and Fenner had taken Harold to the Italian Alps and knew that Margaret was going to be swimming. She was at Pella on Lake Orta, and Harold didn't want to go down to see these people. I mean, they were having a break after this great pilgrimage, um, Margaret was, but that was it. They went for a swim together in the lake. And they got married quite soon afterwards, they really, so I think it was a bit of a whirlwind romance. So I imagined the whys and wherefores of why she fell in love with one man and not the other. They um, eventually moved to Stroud, and he had his practice in Rome. I just backtracked to the World War One. I. I mean, you hear a lot these days about Winston Churchill and was he or was he not a good person. Margaret had her run-ins with him, didn't she? And one thing that struck me particularly with the film is that when Margaret was going to go across into Europe, he stopped all the shipping going that day during the war. There was a meeting of the Women's Peace Congress happening in The Hague, and there was an invitation extended to over 150 women in Britain to go. And Margaret was the organiser, dealing with getting their passports and so on, and, and tickets and fares. So she had to apply for all the passports. And, and in those days, you had to get a passport for every single trip you did. You didn't have a passport for five years or ten years. So she applied for all those passports. And I think it was something like five women were given passports in the end. And they got down to the docks off the train to get their ferry. And all the ferries had been cancelled. And Churchill had commanded that the shipping lanes be stopped so that they couldn't get over to the Hague. Because he was First Lord of the Admiralty at that point. That was the only day he did that on, wasn't it, I believe? Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> the Just to yeah. stop. Just that. to stop them. So it shows so how she powerful they were, doesn't it? <laughs> but of course she wasn't married very long and, you know, Harold went straight off to war. And uh, he was a prisoner of war. 
So, you know, she was campaigning for all this peace while he was away. He was one of eight people captured, medical staff that were captured. Yeah, that's right. I I think that the whole thing, I mean, one of the things that's always shocked me growing up is you've got World War I, where women went into jobs because men went off to war, World War II, exactly the same, and yet once the wars are ended, it's back to to the status quo. The other common misconception is that, that the vote was given to women because of that war effort the sort of reward thing. And what that completely overlooks is is the longevity of the campaigning for suffrage. Um, and John Stuart Mill, the philosopher, John Stuart Mill, who was an MP, was putting down acts, you know, bills to get, to get an act passed to give him suffrage repeatedly. Um, and, you know, 1866 and so on endlessly carrying on doing that. And he was responding to to the suffrage societies that had sprung up all across the country, which had in part come about because women had been heavily involved in the anti-slavery movement because they were responsible for the household budget and sugar consumption. So that way of organising, which again we've seen brilliantly demonstrated through Extinction Rebellion and so on, that kind of grassroots organising is something I think women in particular have done since forever. I'd spent my life ignoring Edwardian and Victorian era because it frightened me, because I couldn't imagine being a woman in that era, how I'd have coped. But now, thanks to Kim in part and her kind of act, wonderful acting I can I could sort of see it I might just have managed to find a way of surviving I mean I think she was fighting from the beginning I mean you think she had she had a, a degree but wasn't allowed to have a certificate you know that women isn't that yeah. you just that, that's appalling what was it like when you read the script for the first time well <laughs> it was overwhelming really because um there's two strands for, for me as an actor. I'm thinking this woman is amazing. What an incredible privilege to to play her, and with that comes the fear of oh my gosh, I've got one performance to get this right, and it felt a huge responsibility uh, because I'm from Stroud. I feel very passionate about this woman. You know, I've got this one chance to kind of show the people of Stroud what this woman was about. And that is terrifying when you've got four monologues outdoors. You don't know how many people are going to come and watch. And it felt like the project was getting bigger and bigger because we had police closing the roads and it was all like we were going to have people as, um, you know... <laughs> it did get a bit bigger. I, I did, you know, in my head, I was thinking, oh, my gosh. But on the day, I was actually really calm and I did just really enjoy the performance. Um, and I, I hope, hope that it did do what we set out to do because this woman is incredible. A man or woman, this person did so much in their life and it's a challenge to all of us that, that one person can count and how much you could do in your lifetime. So this is um, Margaret's um, election speech. And that this, this was um, in front of the War Memorial in Park Gardens. At the request of the Stroud Urban Women's Citizens Association, I venture to offer myself for election to the Stroud Urban District Council. I have now been living in Stroud six years, during which time I have never associated myself with any political party, but have always taken the deepest interest in non-party questions of social reform, particularly as they affected the health, happiness and welfare of this district. And I have come to the conclusion that I could work more effectively for these ends if I had a seat on the local council. Up till now, no woman has been elected to this body. 
but I feel sure that there must be very many men as well as women who will agree that where such matters such as housing, pure food, clean streets, sanitation, children's playgrounds, etc. are discussed, a woman would not be out of place. Further, as a housekeeper, I am naturally both interested and experienced in economy and expenditure and the prevention of waste, and I shall, if elected to the council, do all in my utmost to ensure that the ratepayer gets the utmost value for every penny which he or she is called upon to pay. In conclusion, I have only to say that should you do me the honour to elect me as one of your representatives, I shall work single-heartedly for the good of the town, my first and last thought being always, as a woman must be, for the children. Yours truly, Margaret Hills, March the 20th, 1928. So I'd just like to end with uh, one thing, if that's okay. All the research and everything you've done on this, what is the one most striking fact about Margaret Hills you uncovered? Well, it's a very personal one for me, that the school she went to, which is one of these schools that was set up by a woman who was concerned about girls' education, was that they were taught PE, they were taught to swim, in an era when girls were not taught to swim. And I love swimming, so I was rather pleased to come across that. I don't know if I could pick one thing. I mean, that, that just her life, the fact that how much she did in one life, that really struck me. No matter how long I have on this planet to think that you can try and do something, even if nobody even realises what you're doing at the time, it is worth doing. Two, two months ago, I'd never heard of Margaret Hills. Thanks to everything you've done and this incredible film, Stroud's Secret Suffragist, encouraged me to want to go out and find more. It's absolutely fantastic person. Well, what we'd really love to know is who were the women from Stroud who joined in that 1913 Great Pilgrimage. There have to have been women from Stroud. Never found any of them. So if anybody's listening to this and knows or can put us in contact with someone who will know... Family members, yep. Please contact us on our email, which is... show at attheflicks.co.uk. Jackie, Kim, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank, Thank you, you Thank very you. much Thank indeed. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Absolutely amazing. Thank you, Jackie and Kim, for bringing the story of Margaret Hills to life for us all. Those speeches, along with the documentary aspects captured in the script, were turned into Stroud's secret suffragist, The Film, by its young director, River Driver Sharp. Just how do you integrate the acting sequences in with the documentary parts to tell a cohesive story? Here to tell us are River and her executive producer, Sam Pope. Jeff, I'll hand over to you to talk about the technical aspects of this film. We are now going to look at the making of the film. With me are its very talented director, River Driver Sharp, and editor Sam Pope. Hi guys, how are you doing? Hey, yeah. All right. Good. <laughs> Thank you for having us. Thank you for coming along. So this is an absolutely fascinating film and project. River, I'll turn to you first. How did you get involved with this? Well, my sort of lead into this project was Jackie. We have a mutual friend. I was making a film for him, um, John Bassett, and I'm sort of his cinematographer. And he heard that Jackie was looking for someone to make a film. John was like, hey, I know a filmmaker. Well, filmmaker in a very loose term. I hadn't made a film yet. Um, so he got me in contact with Jackie and I was just excited to do something creative. And then I went to meet her at her house and 
She told me all about Margaret Hills and this incredible like idea that she had for a documentary film and then a street performance as well. And she took me to the Center for Science and Arts where there was a big timeline put up about Margaret Hills' entire life story. And so she was like, right, do you want to make a film for me then? And was like, of course, <laughs> this is incredible. So having no experience with actually making a film, I just took everything that Jackie gave to me and all the information and just sort of constructed a storyboard in about a week's time of her telling me about it and then it went from there. So that storyboard, because you're mixing documentary footage, there's interviews, there's Kim sort of reenactment, you've got all of these things going on and you storyboarded that. Yeah. Well, um, On your own? Yes, yeah. This was before we had any sort of exterior like people coming in to help me out <laughs> just me in my room 1am <laughs> cracking away at the storyboard and it was actually the film went through multiple phases and so the original sort of remit was that we needed a film for the democracy event that was taking place later that year 2018 and so she needed a documentary that told the life of Margaret Hills but in a way that people would be able to watch at this event so that they sort of understood who Margaret Hills was. So that was before the street performance was even filmed. Uh, so I had to make separate documentary for this event that was just about Margaret Hills' life. So it was taken from the timeline and from like just the things around Stroud that Margaret Hills influenced. And then we filmed the democracy event, which is where the marches took place. And so I put that in. And then we filmed the street performance and then I put that in. So it's been through about three different versions of the same film, <laughs> but only one storyboard. I didn't storyboard it the next two times, which is a bit unprofessional. But <laughs> Sam, how did you get involved? Well, we met at Atelier, this artist studio that uh, Mitra friend of ours runs, Kath, at the top of the hill. So everyone that was involved in the film up to that point, we had a little gathering, didn't we? And uh, my partner, took me along because she features in the doc, Gemma. Yeah, she was just kind of singing River's praises and talking about how fascinating the film was and the subject matter. And I mean, obviously, I'm a, I'm a, a Gloucestershire lad, but I'd, I'd never heard of her. It was completely off my radar and off so many other people's radar. So I was really fascinated to, to hear about it. So we sat down and I think it was supposed to be kind of like feedback. Everyone kind of went around and we all kind of talked about what we thought, advice we'd give to Rivers, sort of, you know, tweak it. And obviously I, I was sat there sort of just going, editing it in my head, just going, this is fantastic, this is brilliant. You've done this by yourself. You've had no help for six Six months. Oh my God. Did you have any help on the day? No. I was like, my God. And there was just so much footage. The rough cut was like an hour. Yeah. Plus all the stuff that was on the cutting room floor. And I just thought, there's so much potential. This is fantastic. And it was brilliant because there were so many different layers and there were so many different aspects to it and I thought we should definitely like cut this bit we could redo the beginning and I, I kind of got ahead of myself and Jackie was like all right all right, all right. we just <laughs> want to know if you think it's good or bad and I was like it's, it's brilliant it's brilliant anyway right we ended up by talking for like an hour afterwards didn't yeah, we yeah everyone was gone and we were still talking so let's go back to that day itself and the day of filming how did you set about planning that? Because my understanding is, was it filmed in a couple of different places on the day? The street performance itself was sort of a circuit route. It began at the top of Stroud and then it went down to the subscription rooms and then Lloyd's Bank and then the park. But the whole day was filmed because the journey between each space was also part of the performance. You couldn't really prepare for that because we didn't know how many people were going to show up. There were so, so many people. The streets were packed. We had to block the roads. And then also rehearsal was 
earlier that day, so I couldn't get there for the rehearsal of it. So my only preparation was practicing walking backwards um, because I had to run after the crowds and film them. And also uh, I had the route mapped out and so I planned where to stand and set up the camera, but it was mainly just hoping for the best because you can't retake any of that. It's a it's a live one-time thing, one performance for each location. So it was just charging all the batteries, hoping it goes well. And it was just you with one camera? <laughs> yeah, just me, one camera, a reflector that I used as a windshield because it was very windy. And um, I did manage to, that morning, get my friend to be my camera assistant so she would hold on to my coat while I was walking backwards in case I was going to fall over. <laughs> <laughs> so this is real guerrilla filmmaking, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. I'm not really selling it as a professional. No, no, no. It's, well, again, you know, for anybody who's who's seen the film, you see how well it turns out. You would never, never have thought that. And how were the crowds? They're manageable? Yeah, the crowds are actually really good and they seemed very excited, which was great because the travelling from each location in the performance, we had people singing. The She Sings in Stroud, they were like the march leaders sort of so they had a guitar and they were singing a song that they wrote about margaret hills and so the whole crowd were like feeling really sort of motivated by it and they were holding the banners that kat and atelia had made and so that was really good and the the crowd was just great but it was such a big crowd that it was difficult to know where where to film i think i did the right thing in focusing where the singers were because the audio was just wonderful some of the footage wasn't that great to use because it was so shaky because I was trying to run after <laughs> a crowd. But the audio was just beautiful and the ambience of the crowd. They would cheer when Margaret yes. would say something exciting and they would, like, shout and participate. It was just wonderful. And even if you'd uh, been involved, Sam, you couldn't have been there that day, were you? you no, you, you no. You had a great excuse not being there that well, day. Well, I, I, yeah, I was, I was jumping out of a plane <laughs> <laughs> for, the, for the college, so I was, I was, I was a bit annoyed because, like, Jen was like, "Oh, she's going to be doing the street performance." I was like, "Oh, it'd be really nice to help out." And I was like, "She's like, you do know that's the same day you're jumping out of a plane, don't you?" I was like, "Oh." So <laughs> I missed that one sadly. So so I think that's why I was so enthused to get involved with the the, the post production stuff I think. Let's talk about that because obviously you had the interviews, you now had the street performance and that's what you take into the editing suite and you're saying well you saw it when it was an hour long yeah. <laughs> loads on yeah. the editing room floor yeah, and it ends up at what 30 odd minutes long now? Is As, what was 23 minutes. I think I remember saying to you this before like when you watch your first rough cut if you're not physically ill when you're watching it back <laughs> I'm just cringing that there's something very wrong. Graham's like that after all of our shows. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm nodding here, guys. Yeah, it's I just, know exactly what you mean. It's because you're it's because you're not at base camp. You're you're sat you're at the bottom of the mountain, just looking yeah. up, going, God, we've got quite a long way to go, haven't we? <laughs> yeah. And it, it can feel a little bit daunting, especially if you're you know if you yeah. if you're trying to tackle it single-handedly, like River was doing, I think. And was it all out of out of sequence, or was it? The first cut all in sequence, so it had a start, a middle and an end, or did you have to actually hack it about? No, no, I think well, that was the thing that really impressed me is the fact that River had done such an amazing job, basically, for the first, I was, what, first six months, wasn't it? First six months pretty much by herself, single-handedly. I, I think I think you, you just kind of look at it and you go, OK, right, there's some amazing stuff here, we know that there's an amazing story in here somewhere, and you just, with the right kind of eyes, if you look at it, you can go, right, I can see the, the object inside the marble. And you've just got to start chipping away bit by bit. Let's look at one thing you mentioned earlier. You said the first time you looked at it, thought, we'll change the start. What was your thought process there going through that? 
the two-hour discussion we had in Atelier, I, I sort of had the idea of bringing in that poster, mm. the one that Joe did, which is it's just so striking, so graphically, it's really it's really sharp. And I thought it'd be really nice to have like a little montage sequence at the beginning where we we sort of zoom into different bits of her her head because we're sort of giving people glimpses of bits and pieces of her, and then we kind of pull out and you see the whole thing. And I just thought it'd be really nice to kind of start off with Jackie because you know she she'd worked for God knows how long on doing this amazing script and orchestrated the street performance and it was really kind of her baby and mm. we had that in mind and then obviously the the kind of the pose the weight of like right okay this is a really important story an important subject matter and she's such a local icon you know we, we have kind of a duty to do a really good job on this so there's a, a little bit of pressure there as well like we need to kind of do her justice really so at this stage river you've done pretty much everything yourself up to this stage now you're you're working together you've got to collaborate there how did you find that thinking oh hang on a minute i've done all this <laughs> as me and sam say a lot when you're working on a film for so long especially on your own you get like tunnel visioned you can't see anything other than this film you can't see what's good or what's bad anymore it's just you sort of become quite precious of it because you know how long it's taken to get you to this point well especially with me I interviewed so many people some of which couldn't actually make the cut in the end and I became attached to these people and I didn't want them to not be in it and I didn't want these facts to not be in it because it was just I, it was all so exciting and interesting and I knew how long everyone worked on it I got to a point when the film was about an hour long that it was just so overwhelming I loved it but it was like a lot when Sam was offering to help part of me before would have been like no like it's my film I, I would have been kind of protective over it but then when Sam was telling me all of these great ideas I was like actually this sounds brilliant and it would really mean a lot to have somebody to sort of pull me out of the woods and be like, River, there's a real world, you're okay. <laughs> we'll do this together. Just, you get kind of lost. And it's just, it's great to have someone else there to get you out of your own head and show you that it's, because it just gets jumbled in your mind after a while. And it's just, it's so important to have another creative input because you come up with things that you never thought you could. Yeah, for definite. And I think we, we made an agreement pretty early on that I, I wouldn't be cutting anything myself. Mm. I was purely kind of like a producer, kind of just saying, we don't have enough time, that's not going to work, <laughs> this doesn't work. <laughs> we need to cut that down, that needs to go, that works, that's brilliant. Why is that on the cutting room floor? That is brilliant, we need to put, we need to put that back in. We don't need that section, this section could work, but... We need to put that at the other end. I just went into sort of painstaking detail and we, we did the whole post-it note thing. It was spread over quite a long period. Wasn't it? I was going to ask how long did it take to edit? Yeah, so it was from practically from scratch again. That was it. You were yeah. like, right, new notebook, wipe everything, starting again. Yeah. <laughs> just ignore everything, all of the other influences that you've had. Like, this is a clean slate, get out of the woods, we're entering a new wood. <laughs> Probably quicker because we didn't have to do so many different versions this time. Mm. It was just the one version that we were focusing on. And about five months, right? Four yeah. months, maybe? Yeah, it was kind of the, the lead up to Christmas. And we had a little break over Christmas. And then I think my partner had organised, I think, an event where you were sort of screening a rough cut of it. Mm. So we were sort of desperately trying to get it ready for that event. But then after that, I think at the event, Kathy runs Atelier. She was also kind of part of the Stroud Film Festival. They had someone drop out. Kath said, well, well, how would you like to have the film screened? 
and my partner was just like, yes, yeah, brilliant, yeah, we'll have it screened, <laughs> and um, we'll, we'll have a live soundtrack as well. Jem came back, she was like, I've got some really exciting news, the film's in the film festival. I was like, really? You're kidding me? That's fantastic. Oh, right, okay, we've got quite a lot of work to do then in that case. Then when is it? St. Patrick's Day. We thought, right, we've got until March 17th, and it's January. And Gemma went, oh, by the way, and uh, you're going to ask to Dean to do a live soundtrack to it as well. What, perform live? Right, OK. Well, I better call him to ask him if he's all right with that. Then. But it was it was fantastic, and it, it kind of all came together in the end, and we, we persuaded Dean to sort of drive down from Manchester to make an impromptu performance on the day as well. So. so was having that sort of deadline imposed on you something that really motivated you and, and charged you up? We wanted to get it done. And it, because, I mean, it had been about 10 months or so of just non-stop working on this film, so we were excited for it to have a sort of grand finale. We hadn't even had the last three chapters of it made yet, wasn't it? And, and so we, before we were meeting fortnightly on a Wednesday, and then it was, like, every Wednesday, and then, like, twice a week, <laughs> until it was, like calling, right, I've nearly finished this edit, sending each other stuff. We managed to get it properly finished, probably it's five days before the oh, screening. Oh, time, loads of time. What's, what's, <laughs> right? what's the worry? Well, yeah, that was the thing. We were kind of we were kind of conscious of the fact that my friend Dean, who was writing the, the soundtrack for Up in Manchester, was he was kind of finishing stuff off as we were finishing the edit, so we were conscious of the fact that we were making these last-minute changes and trying to sort of get everything into, into a good shape. Mm. And then we were going, oh, damn, well, we've moved the goalpost now and Dean's written a piece of music to fit, so then we had to get him to tweak certain stuff. So I think he, he ended up by improvising over certain pieces and he kept the soundtrack very minimal, so it kind of, it, yeah, there was that breathing space, I think. Well, it's an excellent soundtrack, and I think we'll just take a quick pause here to insert a piece of that excellent music. So tell us a bit about um, Dean then, Sam. Uh, well, Dean Dean got involved sort of later on down the line because I, I, I said to River, I was like, what, what music have you got? I've delved deep into the batch of royalty-free music that I could find because I couldn't have any... Like, at that point, there was not a lot of grant money left. So we del- I found some great royalty-free music. And then Sam was like... Do you want your own music? <laughs> it would be much better. <laughs> and so there we go, yeah. Yeah, because we, we sort of, I said, well, I've got a friend up north who's a composer, um, 
and him and his friend they they write um, sort of soundtracks for all kinds of different projects. They do music videos and all kinds of different things. So they wouldn't shy away from writing a full epic rescoring of uh, like an hour and forty minutes because they rescored Kaniskatsi and did their own version of the Philip Glass soundtrack live and performed it. So I said to Dean, I was like. Would you would you be up for writing a few pieces of music? He's like, yep, definitely. Mm. And I was like, oh, brilliant. And I was like, we haven't got a lot of money to pay you though. <laughs> so he kind of he was really nice about it, and he said, okay, well, let me have a little thing. I've got I've got some free time. I'll I'll come up with a few bits and pieces. So I had Dean in my head when we saw the rough cut, and I thought, do you know what? Wouldn't it be brilliant if we got like a, a piece of marching music, as if we were listening to a group of these women marching uh-huh. with their banners on their way to London. And I thought it'd be brilliant if we could get loads of local people, get them like marching, and we could almost have kind of like a parade, and we pan it, and it's almost as if they're all kind of like singing a marching song. I was like, hmm. So I said that to Dean, and he said, okay, let me have a think about it. So not only did he come up with loads of these beautiful, like beautiful, like piano, guitar, strings, and cellos, and this really beautiful, like ambient stuff that the river's kind of buried under the mix, and it. It just sits, and it's so nice. It's so it complements it so well. But he went all out and rang me up out of the blue when we were editing, ready for St Paddy's Day. So he was up performing live on the night, which he did, which is yeah, he's, I was there, yeah, he did, yeah. which is fantastic. Out of the blue, he said, "Well, I've been speaking to a, an all a cappella female voice choir up in Manchester, and they're interested in singing some marching music." I was like. Really? Okay. Um, if if you can get it done before St Paddy's Day, then yeah, we'd we'd love to have that. That'd be amazing. Where are you thinking of fitting? He's like, oh, well, we'll 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 fit them in at the end, or I'll fit them in the mix somewhere. I was like, okay. So we we had this correspondence where he was writing the soundtrack in Manchester and tweaking it, and he had a night where he went down and Manchester She Choir. They're just a fantastic group of basically non-professional musicians, and they kind of sing all these amazing a cappella uh, tracks. And they, I think, there was about thirty of them on the night. And they sang.、Uh, I think it was a poem,、uh, "March of the Women." So he took the lyrics, gave it to them, and then he wrote the soundtrack, and they just performed it live. And it was, yeah, it's just amazing. Jumping ahead a little, so the the day itself. So with four days to go, you got it all finished, <laughs> and you had a sellout crowd. Sold forty tickets very quickly, and Cat was like, "Oh, but more people want to come. We could squeeze in some more." So we let it go to forty-four. And then on the door, six more people show up, and we're at fifty people capacity, and everyone's sitting on shelves and in the sink. I was very near the sink. <laughs> yes,、perched. I remember that. Everybody is around the the side on yeah. that. Yeah, <laughs> and it got pretty close to the stand innovation when it finished as well. So you must have、oh. been really pleased by that reaction when the, the film had completed and shown. It's so nerve wracking because. We、uh, we were the only people that were watching it for so long, and. You start to doubt yourself, and you worry that it's not actually good. Maybe we just think it's good because we've been working on it for too long. You always see the things that you don't like in it; like、yeah. you can't really avoid that. And so every time we would watch it together, I'd sort of cringe at stuff. Be like, "Oh, I wish I did that differently." But then you have to remember that no one else has seen the film,、yeah. and it's a brand new experience for them, and they're really excited by it. We only. Cringe at things because we've seen it fifty times and know that this was difficult to make or this didn't go quite as planned. But the reaction to everyone was wonderful, and people coming up to me at the end and talking to me about it and being excited to hear more about Margaret. It was just really incredible. And it was yeah, I think we were all really proud that River managed to pull it off. I think because it was such a it was such an ama- amazing combination of so many different people, so many different 
so many months and so many different kind of layers that we've added to it. And it was, yeah, it was just a really strange experience to have it all done and dusted. And Dean was performing live and it was kind of like, wow, we've done it. This is it. So what's next for the film then? Where is it going to be shown next? Online for everyone to see various video streaming platforms. It will be linked on the wiki page because there's a page about Margaret Hills online. Also the museum in the park back at the democracy event when the first version of the film was shown. The museum in the park were really excited about having it as perhaps an exhibition or something that the museum can have to put on display sometimes. So that's also where it will be. Excellent. Any thoughts of the upcoming Cheltenham Film Festival? So I know they got a shorts feature there. Haven't thought about it. Depends if we want to put ourselves under more pressure. <laughs> but I'm down. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So what about future projects? What have you, mm. what have you both got coming up? We're both going to be working on a, a documentary locally that is in the very, very early stages. So it's on a subject matter that's very close to me and my partner. So we're sort of, we've got an amazing interviewee lined up that we're going to have a chat with pretty soon. And River's going to be my, my DP, mm. which is exciting. So we're going to, yeah, do another a collaboration. So we're, yeah, we'd love to talk more about it later on down yes, the line. Yes, yeah, def- definitely. When you're in a position, you've got it all together. Please, by all means, we'd love to talk about that and promote that for you. Can you both tell me one striking fact you learned about Margaret Hills during the making of this film? River, I'll start with you. Oh no. I am really excited by the fact that Margaret Hills was personally chosen by Millicent Fawcett to join her in leading the suffrage movement. She wasn't just someone who was part of the suffrage movement, which is incredible, but she was actually right there at the top, arranging everything. She was that much of a standout person that Millicent Fawcett sought her out and said, join me, which I think is just incredible. Didn't she meet the Prime Minister in 1912 as well, didn't she, and able to put her point across there? Yeah, yeah, put the Prime Minister in his place. Prime Minister, you do not understand. <laughs> Brilliant. That went down well. What yeah. about you, Sam? She's just fantastic. Well, it was it was the, the quote that really kind of blew me away was the, the Fenner Brockworth quote from 1922. And we, we had a little excerpt of that in the doc. And it was basically saying, uh, if, it, if it had not been for her withdrawal from national politics, uh, following her marriage and the birth of her children, she would have been leader of the Labour Party, which is, wow. yeah, which is amazing to consider. Is, yeah. Um and it's kind of a shame that we, we still haven't had a female leader of the Labour Party yet, but she would have been uh, she would have been incredible. We got Jackie to read out some of the some of the quotes and some of the articles written about her for sort of the, the tail end of the film, and you could see that she was an incredible orator and she had a, a real real presence. And I suppose that was the frustrating thing is we didn't we didn't have any any sort of live footage of her. There's no audio. There's nothing. So that that's kind of why we sort of relied on Kim's performance, and that was really surreal just watching Kim. Because I'd, I'd go into the Museum of the Park and see her there and I'd suddenly have to do a double take because I've been looking at her in the editing suite for sort of like five months and she's Margaret Hill's in my mind now. Yeah. <laughs> so the, the, two, the two had been blended together where she became Margaret in my mind and it's this odd thing where she's performing on the street on the steps of the subrooms in the period costume and she's nailed it. We've got footage of her being talking and it's like this odd sort of thing where, yeah, she's become Margaret. It's very surreal. I think that's why I was so kind of so enthused to get in, involved with the film because River's so very quiet and self-deprecating. Well, yeah. <laughs> and never, never kind of champions herself. So I was kind of, I, I was really kind of pleased and kind of proud to be be part of it because you know she's a she's a filmer shoemaker in the making. I helped, but 
she was doing all the work really and it was it was her baby so we've yeah the film the film wouldn't be anything that it is without her really so yeah testament to river really on that front thank you Sam that's so <laughs> sweet well yeah testament to you both I think yeah, yeah. It's, definitely, it's a fantastic definitely. piece of work okay guys thank you very much indeed for your time today nice, thank you it's been a pleasure thank you. cheers thank you Amazing. A fitting tribute to Margaret Hills, a woman who should not be forgotten. It is an incredible film, and if you are interested in watching it, please let us know and we'll pass on your requests to Chaz and Jackie. Thank you, Chaz, Jackie, Kim, River and Sam for a very entertaining and informative discussion. We are planning to have similar discussions with other local films in the future. Please keep listening to At The Flicks for more details.